Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. And the rest of you can remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Good morning. My name is Ellen Bueller, and I'll be reading today from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. When I finish reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and please respond with thanks be to God. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their old household and to make some return for their, to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Anybody know um, why we stand for the reading of God's word? Respect, honor. Uh, when we we do that, it, it's it's instructional for us. It's it's teaching us to honor God's word. Um, there, it, it actually comes from a story in Nehemiah when Ezra reads the law to the people, and the people all stand in respect and honor of God's word. Honor is a thing that uh, I would say American culture, we have a hard time really understanding. We don't necessarily do this very well uh, in, in America. And so, um, and so we struggle with the concept, I think, generally, 
Um, our culture instead is more prone to, um, to, to heap shame on, on anyone that they disagree with, um, and especially those in authority, which is what I think has led to what's now called cancel culture, where, you know, if you don't agree with someone, you just sort of erase them from existence and silence them. Um, but I think that's a result of us not really understanding this, this idea <clears throat> of honor. And um, today's passage, we're going to be talking about honor. Um, it, when you first read this passage, um, at least for me, I, I had a hard time seeing the sermon in it. Obviously, there's a lot um, here for us, and there always is in God's Word, and I you know, never doubt that. But there are some passages that when, when I go to study them, the sermon that's there, for, that's applicable for everyone in the church, is a little bit clearer than other times. And with this passage, it was not as immediately clear to me what that sermon was that's applicable for all. Until yesterday, actually. I mean, I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been pouring over this, studying this. I'd written an entire sermon, and then yesterday I saw it, the key. The key that unlocks the whole passage, the, the sermon within the passage. And I want to um, show you that, but first let's, let's pray together again and, uh, and ask the Lord to teach us. Father in heaven, we give you praise because you're worthy of it. We, we honor you as our uh, creator God, who is holy, who is high and lifted up above us, as our high king, as the one who is in authority, as the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You, you are in authority over us. You are over us, and your word is in authority over us and, and, and has the authority to change our lives, to speak into our lives, to correct us, to rebuke us, to train us in righteousness. And so, Lord, would you use your authoritative word today to teach us about honor and what it looks like in the household of God. And I pray that you would open up our hearts uh, to all that you want to say to us and all that you want to do in our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, the key is honor. That's the key that unlocks the sermon within this passage. Um, it finally hit me when I saw that this passage begins with talking about respect to those that are older. Uh, it talks about honoring widows, and then it doesn't stop in our passage today. The next passage is going to talk about honoring elders, and then right after that in, uh, in chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 6, it's going to talk about honoring uh, masters or, or your employer. Um, and so there's, there's actually a theme that Paul begins here, and it's the theme of honor. How, what does honor, cultivating honor, a uh, spirit of honor in God's family look like? How do you do it? Uh, the word honor, there, I'm, I'm going to show you a definition for this word honor. The word honor means to show high respect or great esteem, to highly value or revere. That's what we're talking about when we say 
honor. I think uh, one other passage uh, that's actually in the next letter to Timothy from Paul that helps to kind of get our, wrap our minds around what it looks like to honor or dishonor is in uh, 2 Timothy 2.20. And in that passage, Paul says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So imagine you have some antique that was passed down from you know, a previous generation, and you put that on display in your home. Why? Because you value it, and it is worth your attention and the attention of others. It is, it is worthy of admiration, right? And so you put it on display. We don't typically hang socks on our fireplace, except for in Christmas time, and, uh, and we don't put the things in our house that are, that are dishonorable or the things that we don't value out on display, right? And I think that helps us to understand what it is to honor a person. A person, not, not, I'm not saying we put them on display, I'm saying we, we see their value, we see that they're worthy of our attention, we see that they're worthy of our admiration, right? And that, that, that they are not common. See, that's what he says, some these vessels in the house that are not honorable, they're, they're common. They're not, there's nothing special, there's nothing, there's nothing valuable about them. Romans 12.10 tells us that in the church, in the household of God, which is what this letter of 1 Timothy is all about, is how do we conduct ourselves in the household of God? In Romans 12.10 it says, In the household of God we're to love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. When was the last time you came to church and you said, Today... I am going to try and out-honor everyone I encounter. Right? I'm going to try and outdo everyone I speak to in showing honor. We, we don't think of that because we don't even think about honor. Right? Because that's not in our culture. That's not in our frame of, it's not a frame of reference for us. But this is what is supposed to characterize the household of God. And I would even say, based on that verse, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, that it is not possible to love your brothers and sisters in the church the way that God intended without doing this. Unless we learn, unless we get this, how do you honor someone? How do you outdo someone in showing honor? That's how you love And so this passage from verse 1 through verse 2 of chapter 6 is all about cultivating honor in the household of God, starting with widows, um, going on from there. Um, I think this is vitally important because, here's why, because I, I think unless we learn to honor each other, we will never really understand how to honor 
God. If we can't honor those that we can see, how will we ever truly honor the one we cannot see, who is worthy of all honor and all glory? So I think this is crucial for all of us if we want to be the kind of people that honor and glorify God, and I think we do. Um, So I want to show you from this passage four ways to cultivate honor in the church. Um, I'm going to have to go really fast because there's 16 verses here. So, uh, So hang with me. Point number one, we need to honor all believers and all generations. Look at the beginning of this passage. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. So the first thing I want us to see is that we should be a people, Christians should be a people that honor age. We should honor age. This goes all the way back to uh, Leviticus, actually, the giving of the law. Part of what God says to his people, Leviticus 19.32 is, you shall stand up, just like we do for the word of God, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. Ted is excited about this. Uh, And you shall fear your God. Now, did you catch that? Did you catch that connection? You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. There is actually a connection between honoring age and fearing God. Did you know that? Sadly, the honor of age is totally lost on our generation. Can I get an amen? Because we worship youth, right? We worship youth. We idolize youth. And so we disregard and discard the elderly. But it was not always so. One of the Ten Commandments, one of the ten, I mean, this is, think about this, this is just the like, the core commandments. One of the ten commandments is honor your father and your mother. And and the way that it's stated in Deuteronomy is if you honor your father and mother, it will go well with you in the land. It's It's the only commandment with a promise attached to it. If you honor your parents, it will actually go well in your society. This is a foundational key to building a good society, is that you train children to honor mom and dad. Because let me just make the connection for us. If children cannot honor mom and dad in the home, They will not honor any authority beyond the home ever. Ever. And so I come back to what I said in the beginning. To get this concept of honor has massive implications on the rest of our lives. To get to cultivate a culture of honor within the church is going to have massive implications in the rest of our lives. Not to mention how countercultural that would be 
and how much that would make us a light in this world. So we're called to honor age. We're called to honor beginning with our own father and mother. And this, and this brings about blessing in our society. So we're to honor old men. This is a written to uh, Timothy, a young pastor. Um, they're not sure his exact age. He's probably somewhere um, between 30 and 40. Um, and, and, and Paul's telling him, when, when you speak with older men to challenge them about something, he says, don't, don't rebuke them. The word for rebuke here is in, in the Greek is actually the it's the only word, it's the only time that word for rebuke is used in the New Testament. Uh, it, 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 it is actually implying a very harsh rebuke. It's implying, it means, if you look it up, to beat with words, to berate someone. And so what Paul isn't saying is he's not saying don't ever correct an older man. He's not saying that. He's not saying don't ever help an older man see their sin, not at all. He, he, he would say later to Titus, rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. There, there's a healthy, godly, gentle, loving way to rebuke, which we should learn. Not just pastors, all of us. We need to learn how to help brothers and sisters see where we need to change, right? See where we're blind to sin in our lives that needs to be pointed out. We need to learn that. But we are not to beat people with words. We're to do it with gentleness and kindness and love as we would a father. We're to speak this way to older men and honor those who've gone before us. Um, we're to speak this honorably. We're, we're to speak honorably toward older women. He says we should treat them as a mother, to speak gently, lovingly, kindly as a mother with, with respect. This is, remember, honor your father and mother. So maybe you didn't honor your father and mother, but you should have, and you ought to. And so we are to honor every person that is older than us, we're to revere them. We're, we're to honor the fact that they've gone before us, that they've lived longer than us, that they have more experience than us, right? And then we're to relate to younger uh, men as brothers. And that implies an honor as well, but it's more of a peer kind of a relationship. We're to honor younger women and treat them as sisters. He says, um, He's, he's telling Timothy, make sure that you act in such a way that is pure, that's above reproach. Uh, that means there's absolutely no flirt, flirting going on, no, no kind of suggestive talk happening at all. You're treating her purely as a sister. And that's the way we treat young women. But notice that he's, he says encourage them. And, and that, that verb encourage is is applying to all of these people. And so this is the way that Paul sees um, us building each other up, is that when we speak to each other, we're speaking to each other with encouraging words, pointing us to the truth, 
We speak the truth in love, it says in Ephesians 4. And so the way that we honor, the way that we, that we help a person to grow, the way that we build up the church is through encouraging words. And then I want us just to see this, that um, this implies that we are having relationships with every generation in the church. So let me just ask you, are you working, are you doing your part to know people who are in different stages of life than yourself in this church? Or do you only gravitate to people in your same stage of life? I, I think that this not only applies to people older than us, but people younger than us. I think it applies all the way down to the children in our church. Do you see them? Do you ever, do you ever make an effort to speak to them, to, to, to know their name? I know it's a little hard to talk to kids sometimes because you ask them a question and they're like, huh? <laughs> you know, and what'd you do this weekend? Good. No, <laughs> that's not what I asked, but okay. Um, I get it. I have five of them, but, but we should make an effort, right? We should make an effort to have relationships with people of all generations in the church. All right, got to move on. Um, so we cultivate honor in the church by honoring peop- all people of all generations within the church. Secondly, we cultivate honor in the church by honoring those who are alone and in need. Look at verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. Um, now, the way that I'm going to approach this, this passage is I'm going to kind of piece together different verses because Paul, it's interesting the way he writes this part. He kind of, he'll say something and then he'll kind of go on a little tangent and then he'll come back to widow's thing again and then he'll go on a little tangent. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of group some verses together to give us a little bit of clarity as we work through it. So look at verse 3 and verse 5. Um, Honor widows who are truly widows. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Honor widows. We have quite a few who are widows here at New King. Um, And I've heard from some of you who are widows, and you've described the, the loss, the, the pain of, of losing your husband, what that is like, how alone that can feel sometimes. I think there are few things that can make a person feel more alone in this world than to lose their, their partner for life. Um, if you were married to a good man, then he honored you. He made you feel seen and valuable, um, special, worthy of attention and admiration. And then when that's lost, I think widows in particular, uh, they can feel unseen. And so I think Paul starts here with widows. I think he, he says, if you're going to cultivate culture of honor in the church, why don't we start with widows? We're not going to start with pastors. We're going we're to start with widows. Right? So, if the church 
of God is to be filled with a spirit of honor, then it has to start with those who feel forgotten. Widows and others who feel forgotten. Um, and, and in this, he's talking, he, he, he's getting at the idea of supporting widows uh, financially because in this day and age, widows were frequently left alone without a means of support. Many times, husbands would have left the entire inheritance to, to an oldest son, right? And then if they, they die, then the widow's left with nothing, right? And so there's, there's this honoring that includes financial support in this instance. And, um, but, he's, but the point is that he wants, he wants the church to be a place where widows know that they aren't forgotten or overlooked, right? Or unvaluable. Is that even a word, unvaluable? It doesn't sound right. Sorry, sometimes I include you in my inner thoughts. <laughs> I don't know why I do that. Um, but I just, I want to say this. Widows are not forgotten by God. They're not. In fact, widows have a very special place in the heart of our God. Let me just read a few passages. Exodus twenty two twenty two. You shall not mistreat any widow. Or fatherless child. Deuteronomy 10.18 <clears throat> says that God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Psalm 146.9 says the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. He upholds the widow. Psalm 68.5 says that God is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. So Paul says that a true widow is one who is left all alone. But that doesn't mean that God has left them alone, does it? It means that they are left without support. And so the church is to rally around them to support them. And then look at verse 5. Again, true widows, they're left all alone, they have no support system, and they've set their hope on God and continue in supplications and prayers night and day. I, I think that what Paul is getting at is that widows actually have a very special opportunity to develop a unique kind of intimacy with, with the Father in their suffering, and in their loneliness. I think they have a unique kind of opportunity to set their hope on God and continue in supplications and prayers night and day. The ministry of prayer is the most powerful, most effective ministry in the church for advancing the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. I think a temptation to those who feel disregarded or, or without use, without purpose, is to just give themselves over to self-indulgence, to pampering of the flesh, because what 
else am I going to live for? And he's encouraging the church not to, for widows not to do that. Self-indulgence. Um, it means to give your flesh whatever it desires, whenever it desires it. And usually that, impl- that, that means food, um, but it can go beyond that to other things. It means to live in luxury, to seek constant pleasure. And the point he makes here by saying is dead, she's, the self-indulgent is dead even while she lives, is that the self-indulgent life is no life at all. Those who've given themselves over to it have experienced it. There's absolutely no real life in it at all. It's empty. And it's a spiritual death. One commentator called it a living death. Um, And the church is not obligated to support the self-indulgent, and he'll build that argument out a little bit later. I'll come back to that. Look at verse 9 and 10. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. That's sort of the summary of that passage there. That she's devoted herself to every good work. Here's the the principle that Paul is trying to make in this passage that he makes elsewhere as well. That is that we're to honor those who are truly in need and alone, and especially those who have lived honorably. That does matter in the church's decision of how much to support someone. Um, The church is not obligated to support every single person that asks for it. And we get a lot, every church gets a lot of requests for support. And this is what Paul teaches, is that it is, it is appropriate to say to someone, you're living in sin or you're living a sinful lifestyle and, and you don't qualify for support from the church. That's what Paul teaches. But the church is obligated to honor, to support, and to help those who are and have been living self-sacrificial lives for Christ. All right, so we cultivate honor by honoring those who are alone and in need. Um, Next, we're going to see that we cultivate honor by honoring your family through hard work. Look at verse um, 4. It says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. He brings this idea kind of back again in verse 16. If you look down at 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows or those who are really without any support. So, I I want us to see here that working to provide for your family, working hard to provide for your family is honoring to the Lord. Your job 
has intrinsic value. Working hard, extra hours, the sweat of your brow, staying up late, whatever you've got to do to provide for your family is honorable in the sight of God. It's, it's honorable. It, it shows godliness, is what this passage says. He says, we should learn to make some return to our parents, and this is pleasing in the sight of God. So it's, it's the honorable thing to do when in your adulthood you make some return. Think about how much your parents sacrificed for you so that you could have shoes and clothes and food on the table, food in the pantry and a roof over your head and get you to sports and, and to take you to this and to take you to that. And not to mention cleaning dirty diapers and the sleepless nights and all of that, right? And how dishonoring is it when after all of that, in our adulthood, they are in their old age and we just say, yeah, sorry, I don't really have time for you. He says, we should make some return to them. Literally, like we should give them money if they need it. Is, is literally what he's saying. We should help support them if they are in a place where they need that. Another thing that I, th- I think is important to see in this passage, in this section, is that the primary way that God provides for us, God is our provider, right? We know that. The primary way he provides for us is through our hard work. That's the teaching of Scripture over and over again. That just because you worked hard doesn't mean it didn't come from God. Right? You can't even work hard unless God gives you the ability. And you won't have a job unless he gives you one. But this also tells us that it's his will that you have one. Sometimes we don't have a job because we're not willing to take the one he gave us. Or because we throw our job away or whatever, but hard work is not unspiritual. It's not like there's the spiritual stuff and we worship and we sing and read the Bible. That's the spiritual stuff. But when I go to work and I'm in front of a computer or I'm hanging drywall or or I'm seeing patients or whatever it is that you're doing, that that's not spiritual. No, that is spiritual and pleasing to God. And it, and it infuses all of life with meaning and glory. He says, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, his immediate family is what he's saying there, he has denied the faith <laughs> and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul is using some strong language. He's, what he's saying here is, here's your bare minimum requirement. You need to provide for your household. And it's not, that doesn't mean you've got to provide the nicest and the best. It doesn't mean you've got to get that raise so you can drive a brand new car and get new cars for, for your spouse. That's not what that's saying. But it is saying you better be willing to work hard for them. That's the bare minimum requirement for a believer. 
to provide for your family. That's the honorable way to live. All right, that brings us to our fourth point. We need to learn to cultivate honor by helping others to live honorable lives. I'm going to move through this section quick. So, he, this is, we're going to look at verses 11 through 15 here. So, he, he goes on this, this tangent about younger widows. He says, refuse to enroll younger widows. Don't, don't support them is what he's saying. And here's what he's getting at. He's saying that they could potentially go find work or get remarried. And he's saying that it is actually unwise and unhelpful to support a, a person who could otherwise support themselves. That's what he's getting at here. He's saying that to give support to those who are able to support themselves harms the individual. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, he puts it this bluntly. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. In other words, if they won't work, don't feed them. Wow. It's like, man, that's really harsh. But if you don't eat, you die. But, but here's what happens. If you don't eat, you go to work. Right? And I'm not talking about people who can't work. I'm talking about people who are able to work. If you don't eat, you get up and go to work because it's amazing what a motivator the belly is. Right? So he says, so, so, so he's just making the point here. Don't enroll those who, who could, through other means, support themselves. He goes on to say, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Here, he's not, he's not condemning a widow for wanting to get remarried. Um, he's saying that, he's saying that the, at times, that desire for a relationship can be so strong that it can lead you into an ungodly relationship. Or that desire for a relationship can be so strong that it can lead you to even to marry an unbeliever, which could completely pull you away from Christ. That, that's what he's getting at here. Um, besides that, he says in verse 13, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Here's the, the point in this, and that we can all learn from. Supporting those who could otherwise support themselves leads to idleness. And idleness is a gateway to all kinds of other temptations and sins. One of the best, one of the best ways to grow in holiness and to defeat sin in your life is actually to devote yourself to every good work, like he said earlier. Um, fill your days and your time, your hours and your moments with every good work. If you are busy with the things of God, the kingdom of God, with productive work, then you will be less tempted. It's that simple. Idleness, he, in this case, he says, can lead to gossip and meddling. These are sins that are connected. Gossip speaking poorly about someone when they're not around. Meddling is sticking your nose in other people's business. Busybodying. Meddling, it's you're, because you're not living a, a full life, 
right? In a life of purpose, then what happens? You feel compelled to stick your nose in other people's lives, right? That's where this sin comes from. Social media has given this sin all kind of new power, right? Because now all we've got to do to meddle is just, we, we can do it in anonymity. We can be like, all we got to do is like, What's, what have they been up to, right? That's all it takes. Don't do it. So then he goes, he says, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. So, so he's, he's already encouraged widows not to idolize relationships such that that would pull them away from Christ. But now he's saying, he's encouraging young widows who have the opportunity to marry, to marry. And, and to start a family. Um, I've seen multiple times a young woman who's had the opportunity to marry but has instead just given herself to worldly passions and desires and then that's eventually pulled her away from Christ. Um, and I would venture to say the same is true for young men. So marriage, if God is giving you the gift, is a very good gift to take. And a family is a very good gift. And it is, is an incredible um, tactic to build the kingdom of God in the world, to bring glory to the name of Christ in this world, to build godly homes. So let me wrap this up. So God's family should be characterized by love and without learning honor and cultivating honor within God's family, within the church, we can't love each other like we're supposed to. And that begins with showing honor to the least among us and those who, or those who feel the least among us. And I think there are a few things that could be more countercultural than this, or God honoring than this, or attractive to those looking in than this. Um, I want to close with this. I wasn't planning on saying this, but you know, in Jesus' hometown, they missed him, they didn't think he was the Messiah. And you know what he said about his hometown? He said, um, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. At the root of their blindness was that they didn't honor him. They didn't honor him. It caused them to miss Jesus. And I, I think, I think, that if we don't learn this, if we don't learn honor, we don't learn to honor those that we can see so that we can truly honor the one who is worthy of all honor that we cannot see, I think it could cause us to miss out on so much in our walk with Christ and our relationship with Christ. So let's press into this, okay? Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for your instructive word, for the ways that it teaches us things that we wouldn't even consider were it not there. (laughs) Thank you for this portion of 1 Timothy. Lord, thank you for our widows, um, God, and, and for their hearts for you, their passion for you. God, I honor them. We, we have some incredibly godly widows in this church. I praise you for that. They have set their hope on you. They are prayer warriors. They are godly women, such an asset to your church. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for this church. I honor this church. This is an amazing church, God. You have, you have placed within your people a passion and a desire to know you and to follow you and to obey you and to glorify you. You've done that, but I want to honor them, Lord, because... They're worthy of that honor. So thank you for them. I pray that you would help us to cultivate the spirit of honor more and more in our lives so that we could be a countercultural church and a light in the darkness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.